ready to fight? Yeah. I like this room. Howdy Christians, lots of post-millennialists and theonomists. We're in good company. Amen. If you would, uh, open your Bibles to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Now, everybody in this room might be aware of my sins in the area of time. And I just want to say it's not my fault we started 10 minutes late. And Gabe either thinks very highly of my abilities or he hates me because he gave me a topic that uh, would take usually three or four months for me to cover. He wants me to do it in an hour, so hope you guys are ready for this. Colossians chapter 2, we're talking today about Vantillian kill shots against BLM, LGBT, and the abortion issue. And I think you can summarize that in terms of saying biblical response, the response of the Word of God to these issues and a biblical methodology to unpack the problems within. So I thought a good place to start is Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Hear now the word of the living and the true God. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. As far as the reading of God's holy and inspired word, let's pray together. Father, I pray. Well, God bless you. Welcome to Prophetic Whispers. And yes, that's a great place to play to pray. Uh, Jeff Durbin, you know, apologetic uh, preacher. Um, you know, I highly recommend a lot of his his thoughts and um, biblical perspectives. Um, you know, I picked this today uh, because of. Some of the things that I've picked up over the years on church culture and what's gone on with the preachers and uh, the woke, the woke church, you know, the woke church, the I'll call it the neutral church, uh, the one that has given up on God said and um, and has listened to well how how the ills of the culture um, have dominated the minds and the hearts of our pulpits and which it should never should never occur. However, it has, and it has. You could just, you could just YouTube, or, or, or you could just all the, all the woke preachers. You, you can get them with all the critical race theories, the LGBTQ bowing down to the, the, the lack of uh, courage in our language when it comes to uh, same-sex marriage and abortion, and um, the lukewarm thinking, the, the, the greasy grace mentality that is in the church. And um, it's time to get gritty. It's time to to 
have a refreshed look at what it means to be a follower of Christ. And uh, we're going to examine some things. But uh, if you title this uh, this uh, this discussion today, it's called Time to Get Gritty. And what does gritty mean? And we're also going to discuss the opposite of being gritty, which is being neutral. Okay, being neutral. We're going we're gonna to combine those two thoughts this morning. And so... The word gritty means showing courage and resolve. Showing courage and resolve. That's what it means. Having meddlesome, being stout-hearted, being valiant, being bold, bold, have spirit within you, being tough, being tough. I mean, and those are those are many things that are antithetical to the culture right now, especially in the church. That you know, the that's not nice. People, you know, don't 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 raise your voice. Don't change your tone. Don't. Don't uh, don't stand up, you know. Just just kind of kind of just you know relax here in this posture of of neutrality, okay? But gritty people are determined people. They're resolute people. They're perp- they're people of purpose, you know. They're people of purpose, and they're dogged people. They they're tenacious. They don't give up on things. They they know they heard from God. They know what the Bible says, and we're not going to give up on it. It's time to get gritty. It's time to recapture that idea of grittiness again, that we're not going to just, you know, go with the flow, okay? We're not going to do that. We're not going to agree with the preachers. I don't care how big and how how um, how how uh, sanctimonious their voices are and how calming their voices are and what they look like, what they dress like. If it's not the Word of God, we're not going to accept it. We're not going to accept it. I don't care how influential. I don't care whose table they sit on. I don't care how woke they are and what crowd they're on. In fact, in fact, you should you should be really paying attention to some of the mainstream media preachers that you have out there. That um, you look at who they are sitting at the tables with, and that'll tell you where their message is going. Because the only reason they're sitting there is because they are allowed to sit there because they have made allowances for that type of culture to exist, and there are they are apologists for certain movements that are now okay in the church. You know, uh, I can name a few, but I won't. You can figure them out for yourself. You do your own homework. You know, be be diligent. Okay, don't just, just because they got a mega church don't mean they got the right message. Don't forget, the gate is narrow, right? Few find it. Few find it. So many times the mega churches, and I'm not saying all, I'm just saying as a as a theological principle, okay? I want every church to be, mega churches are very, very effective. In fact, they are a sign of good work being done. They're a sign of the message being preached correctly. That many want to come to hear the relevant message of God's word. That truth is being preached. People are hungry for truth. Okay, but then there's the other crowd that that uh, that that build mega churches, and mega churches are formed because of the itching ears and the accommodating message to the culture and the transformation that's not uh, pushed upon people that you can't live this way and serve Christ. They they don't want to hear that message. They don't want to hear sanctification, holiness. They don't want to hear those type of challenging messages. Okay, so mega churches. Again, this this is not a blanket statement for all. This is just the observation of when you examine their sermon, when you examine their stances, when you examine their uh, biblical posture on issues, you begin to see why they are where they are at, okay? And uh, you have to pay attention to that. 
As a Christian, you have to pay attention because there, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There, there are men that, that will, will give you a layer of truth, but, a, but from a pseudo life of lies. They, they're, they're there. They're there. Paul warns about it. You see the warnings throughout the, the, the epistles of Paul about beware of false teachers. John, you know, beware of the spirit of Antichrist. Beware of false teachers. Jude, beware of false teachers that sneak in. Why? Why? Because the people are soft. Because people are soft. We're not gritty anymore. We don't hold on to truth anymore. We're persuaded all of a sudden. So I'm going to give you this, 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 this framework, this theological framework that you need to work with. Okay, because we have to get gritty. We have to get brave again. We have to we have to get meddlesome. We have to be strong again. We have to be stout-hearted again. We have to be valiant and bold and spirited and tough and determined and resolute and not just give up and throw our hands up in the air because something something is uh, contrary to how we believe or some teacher of the Bible or, or some educator out there with the title doctor. Okay, just because they have a doctor in front of their name or DR or, or MDiv doesn't mean they know the right things or they're teaching the right things. That, that, that's not necessarily true. Okay, because if you're not gritty, if you're not gritty Christian, bold, spirited, tough, determined, resolute, purposeful, tenacious, brave, then you're a neutral Christian. Okay, a neutral Christian. You're not aligned with or supporting or in favor of either side of a war or a dispute or a contest. You know, well, I guess if they want to, you, we hear this all the time, I guess if they want to, well, it's up to them. Let them choose, you know, um, you know. You're not, you're not, you're neutral. You're not supporting one way or another. You don't belong to either side of a controversy. Man, whose side are you on? I mean, people don't, people don't understand. You know, when Moses says, you know, who's on the Lord's side, okay? When they were coming against Moses, Moses flat out came out and said, who's on the Lord's side? In other words, there's a side to the Lord. Elijah said, Elijah makes the great call um, to the, to the children of Israel. It says, if God is God, let's serve him. Get on this side. Okay, get on God's side. So when you start looking at being neutral, it's a myth. Being, being neutral in Christianity is a myth. Being neutral in life is a myth. That you don't belong to either side. Belong to, to either kind. Not one thing or another. No, no. Listen. Listen. By choosing not to be on God's side, by choosing not to be gritty, you are choosing to be neutral. You're choosing the opposite side. Again, we have to understand that being neutral is dangerous and it's a myth. It's the myth that you can just go allow people to do what they do and there's no right, there's no wrong. You're just neutral. Well, let them choose and you have a lukewarm idea of this, of Christianity is, is, is absolutely false. Okay, it's absolutely false. I like what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30. Now deal with this. This is the reality. Deal with this about neutrality. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So what does Jesus say? If you're not for me, if you're not with me, you're against me. What? What? That's not nice. That's not cool, Jesus. You mean that... That that you are you are you are separating good from bad, those that are for you, those that are not for you, you're separating them. You're you're making distinct lines in the sand about 
about how we how we stand on things? Let's look at Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. You can't be a duelos, a slave of one or the other. You have to choose who you're going to serve. You're going to have to choose. And again, you're either going to choose to be greedy or you're going to stay in a neutral mythological posture. Okay, this this middle lane, this 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 middle road of neutrality that doesn't exist because Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. So this neutral idea, this biblical neutral idea that um, that that the woke preachers and the woke teachers and the and the woke students in college and the woke high school students they that they like to integrate this neutrality. Of racism and LGBTQ and sexual perversion and same-sex marriage and gender gender identity issues and and um, you know gender euphoria all that garbage that they that, that the church is having to wrestle with no no we don't wrestle with those things we do and we go by what God said what did God say that's a lost art in our churches today God said because God said See, it, it, it's, it's very, very important that we get gritty with the truths of God's word, that we become purposeful and resolute and determined to stand by what God said. Why is man, man and woman? Why is marriage between man and woman? Because God said. Why is sodomy an abomination against God and homosexuality an abomination in the scriptures and against God because God said why is is fornication wrong premarital sex wrong because God said see we have to get the biblical language back we have to understand that we got to get out of neutrality I don't care what the culture says that you're just in the middle and, and you're just going to, oh, because everybody, no, no, you have to have a perspective. You have to have a biblical worldview and it takes grit to get that back. It takes grit to preach the gospel. It takes grit to do this, okay? So you can not serve two masters for either you will hate one and love the other or else be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. You cannot serve two masters. Again, neutrality is a myth. Don't get sucked into, well, I'm on, I, well, I I'm not sure about that. Or you know what? Um, love is, you know, the one of the greatest lies that you, you can get, you know, spewed out of Harvard uh, University was love is the highest emotion and God is love. Therefore, you cannot deny anybody to love whatever they want to love in whoever because of love, because it's love. Well, you know, that distortion that puts you in neutrality. That intuitively you know it's wrong. Intuitively you know there's something weird about that. Intuitively you know that. But because it puts you in a posture of neutrality. It puts you in the middle of neutrality. When they say when they say homosexuality, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. And then you look in the Bible and, and, and you can't see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can't see anything there where Jesus said uses the word homosexuality, the abomination of homosexuality. You, you, you sit there and you freeze. You know what I say? So, but he did say, he did say in Matthew 5, 
He did say in Matthew 19, he did say that man was made for woman. In the beginning, man was made for woman, especially when he was talking about marriage. Man was made for woman in the beginning. See, it's not what Jesus did say. It's what he didn't say about homosexuality. See, what you have to understand is the Bible was not written for homosexuals and perversion. It was written for heterosexuals. And, 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 and if you keep going looking for homosexual references, you're not going to find it because it's not written for them. It will identify them in a few places. But it's not written for the homosexuals. It's written for heterosexuals. So stop trying to make the Bible say something it didn't. So why did when Jesus answered about divorce and remarriage, when the when the um, Pharisees tried to stop him and, and trip him up on that, why didn't he say, well, man was made for man and marriage is between man and woman and man and man and, you know, whatever they want, but, you know, and then start talking about the fidelity to each other. He didn't do that. He says, man, in the beginning, God made man for woman. And the two shall be one. Again, again. It's not what he did say, it's what he didn't say. He didn't reference any other kind of relationship between man and man. So therefore, what he didn't say about homosexuality tells you that it's not even in his purview. It's not even in his mind and it shouldn't have been in your mind either. Don't forget, according to Malachi, in marriage is an institution by God, for God, appointed by God. Not by man, and the church can, and the and the and the culture cannot re-identify or reclaim that marriage that they can they can make marriage between anything they want. No, marriage is an institution by God between man and woman. Period. I don't care what the culture says. Again, you got to get gritty to say those things. You got to get gritty to believe those things, because the culture says, "Oh yeah, well you know, anybody can do." Any no, you can't. And God said, because God said is the language of the greedy Christian. Because God said. Because God said. And we have to get back to that. We have to get back to what God says. Revelations 3, 15 and 16. I'm talking about the neutral Christian. The neutral. You know, the, the one that sits, stands in the middle of the road. The one that sits at the, the universities that tell you that, that all this convert, con, confusion and, and gender misidentification and, and all this Stuff that they're spewing out. And they sit in your churches. They sit in our pews. They sit there. And they're lukewarm as all get up because they're struggling with the information that a doctor or professor, you know, gives them um, at school. And they struggle with the Bible. And more than likely, they will give up on the Bible because we don't preach a gritty gospel no more. We don't preach um, a right or left anymore. We don't preach a two narrow road and a wide road anymore we don't preach those things anymore we preach choice we preach we we preach the fact that you know what you can do you can just believe any way you want to be no you can't you cannot you're either hot or cold you're for me or you're against me we don't preach those gospels no more but the, but it's there gritty preachers gritty christians we must recapture that message. Exodus 7, 1, right? Well, let's go to Revelation 3, 15, 16. I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. <laughs> I would wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. I will vomit you out. So Jesus, not, look, that's not even into this neutral mythology. 
It's myth. It's myth. You're either for me or you're against me. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 12, 30. Look it up. Lock it in. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make a, a, an apologetic decision that you're either going to defend your faith the right way or you're going to just walk, try to walk in a mythological, mytho, mythological road of neutrality, a road that's not even there. But Satan likes to get you there through his lies, through his lies. Let's look at let's look at a few examples of this. Exodus 7:1 says this. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you a God unto Pharaoh, and, and your brother shall be your prophet. This is a struggle, confrontation. Okay, this is a struggle. Moses, Moses was, was just saying, Man, I don't want to go to Pharaoh. You know the story about Moses, you know, uh he, the burning bush, who can I, you know, I can't even speak right. Lord, are you sure you got the right guy? I just murdered. I murdered. That's why I'm back here in the desert. And, and you know, Moses had all kinds of issues. He stuttered, you know, and God said to Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. But the way Pharaoh's going to look at you, he's going to look at you as a God. Because don't forget, Pharaoh was a deity. Pharaoh was a deity. He just wasn't a king in the sense they deemed him as God. They de- they he was he was to be worshipped. You never went against the Pharaoh. See, I have made you a god to Pharaoh. So what what God was telling Moses, Pharaoh is going to look to you as a god. I'm going to change Pharaoh's perspective of you. So when you walk in, he knows Greatness walked in the room. He knows. And Aaron, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Now, this is important. Why? Because it's drawing Moses into his greatest fears, which is what? Confrontation. His greatest fear is confrontation. See, when, when you finally confront something, whatever you confront has to look at you, especially when you, especially when you come against that, when you come against them. In the word of God. When you come against him with what God said. God didn't send Moses up there with Moses' own words. He sent them with God's word. And he sent Aaron, his brother, as his prophet. Meaning that that God would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to Aaron. And Aaron would then prophesy the message out. Exodus Exodus seven fifteen gives you some gives you some illustration. You know, go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to uh, out to the water and you shall stand by the river bank to meet him and the rod which is in your hand turn into a serpent you shall take it in your hand and you shall say to him the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness but indeed until now you would not hear in other words God is drawing confrontation he's making Moses gritty he's drawing him from he drew him out of the backside of a desert and now he's in the palace now he's confronting Pharaoh. This is what happens when you get gritty, when God makes you gritty, when the message demands you, when your call demands you to begin to stand up against the ills of this world, the evils of this world, the darkness of this world, the foolishness, both moral and intellectual knowledge that people are living in. Listen, we have we have to understand that it's coming to a confrontation. It's coming to a confrontation. The way the culture has shut down the churches, because of COVID, look what's happened in Canada. They, they, I believe it's Grace Church up there in Canada. They, the government, put a fence around the church, arrested the pastor, 
put him in jail for, I believe, for 30-some days. They finally released him, and they and they locked up his church so that no one can go to church because of a, because of a virus. As if sickness is not is not a lesser form than God. That God can't deal with with uh, with uh, COVID. That there's no remedy in God's word. That Jesus is not the answer. He's not the healer anymore. That's what the culture is saying. When is the church going to get greedy enough to say, God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. God said, I sent my word and healed them, delivered them from all their distresses. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. If any man is sick among you, let him call the elders of the church. What happened to all those? What happened to all those scriptures? Where are all the great healing miracle men of God? Where are all the great healing services? Where are all they at? Oh, because this is something, because we bent our knee. It's time for confrontation. It's time that enough is enough. It's time that we start regaining our message and get greedy. Get out of neutral. Get out of neutral. That's a myth. That's a place of lukewarmness. That's a place that either you're for me or you're against me. You're either a God said person, or I hope God said person, or I think God said person, or I don't believe God said person. Oh, you're, you're one of those other lanes if you're not a God said person. What was God doing to Moses? Number one, he was bringing him to confrontation. Why? Because he wanted to make him an agent of change. You will not change what you will not confront. Okay, you won't change it. You won't go after it. You won't. You won't pursue it. Number three, God wants you to live big. He wants you to live big. You won't live big if you don't make a decision to be gritty. God wants you to step on fear. He wants you to step on fear. See, God was teaching Moses, step on fear. Moses, don't worry about that. I'm making you God. I'm changing perspective. I want you to live big. I make. I'm going to make you an agent of change. Then I want you to step on the fear first. Because if you don't step on fear, you won't step into your destiny. And when you step into your destiny, you become a disruptor of the status quo. I want you to disrupt the status quo. I want you to disrupt everything that's going on in normality of human life. You're going to change the status quo by confrontation. I want you to break, I want you to break the card-carrying membership of the mediocre i want you to break that i want you to rip up your card of the mediocre group that's all around you that's what gritty people do that's what breaking the status quo does and i want you to recognize the opportunity to be brave opportunities are opportunities to be brave everything you are facing in the, in the transition from being a neutral Christian to a gritty Christian is an opportunity to be brave. Face everything. Face, step on fear. Don't just face it, step on it. Step into your destiny. Disrupt the status quo. Break your, your card-carrying membership to the mediocre. And then recognize that every opportunity is an opportunity to be brave. I like what Jeremiah 1.10 says. See, I have this... I have this day set over you, the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out, to root out, to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. This is the mission of the gritty Christian. This is why we confront, we confront to, to root, root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, and then to build and to replant. See, unless you get rid of all the 
the the uh, dark knowledge, knowledge that has no light in it, you got to tear it down. You got to pull it down. You got to destroy it. You got to throw it down. And then you got to rebuild. Then you rebuild. Matthew 3, 7 says this, and now, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, and eyes and eyes whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now this is important to understand. And even now the axe is laid to the root. This is what brings change. When you get down to the real issues, when you get down to the real problems, you put the axe to the root. Don't be chopping down just branches and leaves and getting into arguments. What is the root cause of things? Put the axe, put the word of God, put the sharp blade to it. That's what gritty Christians do. They have answers. They have they have apologetical stances in which they defend the gospel. They don't just sit there and say, because God, because I think so, or I know it's wrong. No, you come with biblical truths and you cut them to the wick. You cut down to the root of the tree that's drawing these things. Okay, Marxism, the absence of God from their knowledge. Look, if you read Romans chapter 1, and we covered that uh, uh, all last week, where, where they did not retain God in their knowledge, that's the problem. Their, their, their minds became darkened, and then they were turned over to all their lust. Because, again, the axe, the axe needs to be laid to the root of the tree. When they refuse to keep God in their knowledge, they've done this in education. They've done it now. They're trying to do this into into the church with the critical race theory, to, to bring color of skin, to bring to bring um, age group differences, to bring color differences, to bring uh, gender differences, men and women, and you know you don't have enough women on your board, and you don't have enough men on your board, and you have you have too many white men, you have too many black men, you have too many. Oh, we need to get more color in our church. We need to get cut it out. Lay the root. Lay the axe to the root. Find out. That's what. That's what gritty Christians do. We a we lay the axe to the root. Get out of color of skin. Get out of gender gender um, identities. Get out of all those issues of the culture and get into God's word. God said is enough and sufficient. Okay. Why do you lay the axe to the root? Because number one, you understand that repentance is the foundation to all repair. That that goes for Jeremiah because what do you got to do? You got to tear down. You got to pull down. That's repentance. That's the process of repentance is to tear down ways of thinking, ways of believing, ways of feeling, ways of... Uh, ways of perspectives. You have to change those things. That's what repentance does. Metanoia, to change your mind. Okay, repentance is the foundation for repair. Number two, building. Build a new life with a new identity. This is an amazing concept to wrap your mind around. In When you are dealing with neutral Christians, they have to repent. They have to start, they have to start having ideologies torn out pulled down, destroyed, and thrown away so that you can build and plant. And this is this is a process, but you got to be gritty about this. 
You can't just sit there and say, well, they're wrong because I say they're wrong. I, no, no. You got to get into what God said. You have to be, you have to be purposeful. You have to, you have to have knowledge. You have to have the power of the spirit and you have to know where the real root of their issues are to lay the ax to it. Why? Because number one, we want repentance. Number two, we want to build a new life and a new identity within them. Okay? We need that to happen. Let's look at some of the processes. Okay? Let's look at some of the processes. Luke chapter 4, 1 and 2. Watch this. Okay? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a, an idea, a framework for process. Then Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, Luke 4, 1 and 2, being filled with the Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterwards, when he, when they had ended, he was hungry. Okay? So, he was tempted for 40 days. There was trials. He was hungry. He, he, had, no, he had nothing. Watch this. Why did Jesus do this? Again, because of process. Everything's a process. Number one, the space that is created by God to take you from where you are to where you need to be and where you need to go. That's part of the process. He creates space. Fasting is very important. The desert place is very important for those places. God creates a space. I pray that God will create a space. Number two, for testing. Testing and proving. See, everything in your life is going to be tested and proved. you got to test and prove everything. Okay? There's many of you that, there's many of you that want to know the will of God. And you and you and you think the will of God is kind of like tea leaves. You know, you, you you kind of read and you kind of look in the culture and you kind of look at things that have happened, circumstantial issues that have happened. No, no. Read Romans chapter twelve, one and two. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy living sacrifice unto God. But be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good, perfect, and the acceptable will of God. That you may prove. See, so the will of God must be proved. How do you prove it? By testing, by, by getting into God's word, by testing things out, testing the steps you're going in, by being aware, by proving these things. See, the will of God is proven to you. I can look all over my life and I can see why I went through what I went through and it proves why I do what I do. It proves who I am. That's why I'm not moved by people's opinions or people, you know, it, that, that doesn't move me. Because I've proven the will of God over and over again by the renewing of my mind. Number three, move from the past to the future. That's what the process does. It moves you from the past to the future. And number four is, is for the perfect, is for the perfect to move them towards perfection. It's for the imperfect to move them towards perfection. So this is a place where God takes the imperfections in our lives and he moves us towards perfection perfection. Here's where Jesus goes from one place, being filled with the Spirit, returned, and was led into the wilderness, into the Spirit by the wilderness, by being tempted for 40 days. And in those days, now what did he do after, again, what did he do after he went through the testing? He went to the temple. Okay. Malachi 3.3 says this, He will sit as a refiner's fire, purify silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord offerings of righteousness. Again, the process, the space, the things it takes to offer up righteousness, to, to have the right motives, the right heart. Again, to always stay 
into what God said. To keep you out of neutrality, you have to be pure. You have to have, you have to be like silver, the process of silver, the process of gold. You're going to have to be tested. Everything must be tested. Proverbs 17, 3 says this, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Okay, the Lord tests the heart. Proverbs 25, 4, take away the dross from the silver and it will it will go to the silversmith for his jewelry. In other words, God will, 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 will adorn you. He'll wear you when the dross and the silver are gone. That's a, that's a concept. Okay, that's a concept. Okay, take away the dross from the silver and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. In other words, there's a process. You're not going to get you're not going to get to the jewelry portion of of ministry until you get rid of the dross from the silver. Okay. Luke 9:23 says this, then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, you you mean that I have to deny myself? I have to deny the culture? I have to deny my... Okay? That's not nice, God. Matthew 16, 23, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, same thing, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. I like how Luke and Matthew, they kind of they kind of mirror these things, right? He says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So losing, losing my life, I'll find it in him. If I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it. Do you see how this is? There's no neutrality here. You're for me or against me. You got to deny yourself to follow me. There's no, there's no neutrality here. There's no, there's no middle of the road here. This myth that there's a middle road. There's this myth of neutrality that, you know, you don't have an opinion on something. You don't, you don't, you're not really concerned about what the Bible says about, about the, the ills of the culture, what they're putting out on, I mean, Disney and, and, um, and the pedophilia and and all the all the you know the 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 rap music the culture you know Nas which comes out with blood in the in in, in the shoes in the church oh, well you know we you know kids you don't have no opinion on abortion you have no opinion on same sex marriage you don't have an opinion when the Bible definitely does there's teachers there's teachers at 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 major universities. That are producing, that are producing eleventh commandment preachers that say that God has no or the Bible has no voice on certain things or the Bible is is silent on certain on certain cultural issues. It is not. It is not. We need to get gritty again. We need to come out of neutral. We need to understand. That the people around us need gritty voices, tenacious voices, voices that have weight in them. Habakkuk 3, 1 and 2 says, "A prayer. this is the prayer of Habakkuk. O Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive me to your works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. This is Habakkuk looking, looking forward. He says, oh, I've heard, I heard your speech and was afraid. See, we, pre we preach sermons that nobody, no, nobody even concerned about. Makes them feel good. You know, how great, how great they are. How good they should be feeling. 
how to think positively. Everything is self-improvement. That's what draws many of the people to church because that, that guy speaks so well that I feel so good after I leave. Well, I heard your speech and was afraid. But that's a different message, right? Now look at Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. I'll finish here. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields bear no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the herds in the field, in the stock, yet I will rejoice in the Lord of God and my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk in high places. Though circumstantially everything looks bad, though everything looks like it's a contradiction. I will rejoice. I will rejoice. What's that? That's a greedy Christian. He says, look, I don't care. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to go against the flow. I don't care what circumstance say. I know. I know what God said. We win in the end. It's time to get gritty. It's time to show courage. It's time to show resolve. It's time to be brave. It's time to be resolute. It's time to be determined. And all you need to know and have this in your vocabulary is because God said. God bless you. I pray you enjoy this. And uh, again, uh, subscribe. That way you get all the notifications and uh, we will talk to you soon if you want. Also write, write a, if you appreciate what I do, um, just write a little, uh, write a little, um, um, a little write up there and um, tell us what you think about the show and that way uh, it can continue to grow and continue to move on. But we are thankful for God for the opportunity to speak to you every single day, roughly uh, as much as possible. You know, three, uh, you know, four to five days on a good week when I'm not traveling, you know, at least three times a week, um, a minimal. But God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to Prophetic Whispers. This is Elias Flores telling you God bless you and have a very wonderful day. Bye-bye.